If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them with me to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. As you're doing that, um, the songs we have sung this morning, uh, we heard when we all get to heaven, um, uh, when the role is called up yonder, we heard those played, we heard Homeward Bound, and it, it, it made me think that as we are somewhat unsettled in the midst of our transitioning, you know, we have lived in, in one area in Winston for some time. Now our home has officially been designated as Conway, um, but we're not here yet. Uh, but we're anxiously, should be patiently, awaiting the time when that transition will be complete. It's very much a reminder of what our, all our lives are to be like in this world. We have been citizens of this world, born into this fallen world, yet... Because of the grace of our Savior, we've been given a, a new home. It's, it's official for those of us who believe. It's not, it's not by chance. It's not just a, a wishful hoping, but a reality. Though we have yet to arrive uh, to the kingdom of God in all its fullness, we look forward to it with great anticipation. Uh, so we are, in fact, homeward bound. So. This morning, I want to speak to you about... What I've titled, A Gospel Testimony. Now, it's a pretty broad title, but uh, as we continue uh, to look at this, um, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, uh, under a series that I'm calling Enduring Hope, and we'll see more and more as we work through it why it is in fact this concept of enduring hope. Um, we're going to see this morning, I think, a very real display of the gospel. And not only for what it should have been for a small group of uh, believers some 2,000 years ago, but what it continues to be defined as for those of us who live this day. What is it for you that you're most passionate about? Think about that for just a moment. What are you most passionate about? More particularly, when it comes to the faith that you profess, what is it that you find yourself most passionate about when you think of this thing that we call Christianity? This thing that we, we talk about when we speak of my faith. What is it that you're most excited about? What compels you the most? More particularly... When you have the opportunity, and I pray you have many opportunities to, to speak of the gospel, to speak of, of this, this thing we call Christianity with other people, what is it that you talk most about? Do you find yourselves talking more about your particular church than anything else? Do you find yourself talking more about yourself? In respect to you know where you were and where you have come to, or do you find yourself talking about other things? Now that's the question we need to ponder this morning when we think upon the idea of a gospel testimony. You see, because we call a lot of things testimony, right? Uh, we can go and hear somebody say, you know, I used I used to be a drunk, but now I'm not. That sounds very much like a hymn we sing, right? I once was lost, 
but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so when we think about a before and an after, we, we think of that as a testimony. But he, here's the, the one issue with that. There are a lot of people in this world who can say, I, I was once a drunk, but now I'm not. I was once an addict, but, but now I'm not. I was once this, but now I'm not. Things are better. Who, in fact, don't even believe in Christ. That happens for people apart from faith in Christ. But the question then becomes, what particularly is different when we speak of what we call a testimony? What is it that we're driving at? Are we talking about a story about our church? Are we talking about a story about our lives merely? Or are we talking about something that is much, much bigger than any of those things? So look with me this morning as we read um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And and, and let me just back up and remind you before we pick up, because we're looking at verses 6 through 10 today. But in the first five verses, we saw Paul giving thanks uh, on behalf or to God on behalf of the Thessalonians because of several things. We talked about this last week. It says that he was doing so by, by mentioning them in prayer. Unceasingly, He says that he remembered their work of faith, their labor of love, and their endurance of hope. And he said that he was confident or he knew that they belonged to God. He called them uh, beloved. It says that God's chosen you. And he knew that. He then gives us some reasons. And we're going to be looking at the second reason this morning. But he says, knowing, beloved of God, that he chose you because, and essentially what he says... Because the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in Holy Spirit and in full assurance. And then he he transitions a little bit at the end of verse 5. And he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now look with me at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And Father, this morning, as we we turn our attention to this brief portion of scripture, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us by your word. And Father, as, as always, we recognize that we gather here this morning as broken people. We gather here as, as sinful people. And therefore, Lord, we, we plead that you help us because we know that left to ourselves, there's nothing good that can come from this. This exercise that we go through. We pray that our gathering this morning would be much greater than for our purposes uh, to fulfill us in any temporal way. But Lord, that we would gather here to hear from you. And that by the word that you have given us, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and grant us understanding, not that we can be smarter, but that it would so compel us to be more passionate about our pursuit of Christ above all things. So God, we pray this morning that in spite of the messenger, that you would speak beyond that. 
and that you would be honored in the midst of it, and that the result would be that we would be convicted of our sin, that we would be encouraged in the faith, and that we would be compelled to live passionately for the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we look at this text this morning, again, we just we want to fit it in the greater context of what we where we've been, and I've mentioned it. But Paul is thanking God for these believers. And, and again, he, he said, here's, here's how I'm doing it. I'm praying. And, 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 it, and it arises as I remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. And, and then he gives us that ultimate reason for why he's thanking God about these believers. Knowing or being confident that they are saved, that they belong to God. That's a good reason to be thankful. And the reason he says he's confident in, in last week we saw was first and foremost not based on anything in the believers himself, but based on the, the preaching of the word. Because it came not in word only, it did come in word, but it came in power and, and in Holy Spirit and full assurance. And so there was something about that event as Paul came into the city and he proclaimed the gospel. There was something particular about that event that gave Paul some confidence, but it didn't stop there. It went beyond that because in these verses he now continues a second reason for why he is grateful to God concerning the Thessalonians. And so in the end of verse 5, if you look there, he says, just as you know, speaking to the Thessalonians, you, you know, you're confident about what kind of men we became, speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, um, as they came into the city, you know what kind of men we became among you for your sake. And here's what he means or where he's getting because he tells us. He says, because you became imitators of us and the Lord. So this is his first point he wants to labor on. He's confident and thankful because... They had become imitators of him and of the Lord. Now that sounds like a bold statement, doesn't it? Anybody here feel bold enough to, to look at somebody else and say, just be like me. Imitate me. Paul was not saying, hey, look at me. I'm something. Be like me. Because notice what he says. And, and, and you remember in other, I, I, I can't remember the exact passage, but Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying that the believers, the reason he has confidence in, in their faith, their, their belonging to God is because if something happened to them, they, they were just like him in some way. And he attaches that. And in so doing, they were just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us what way they were imitators. It doesn't mean they, they walked like them, they, they had the same limp, they talked the same. But there was something specific, and here's the key. He says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is how they imitated Paul. Now think about it. If you're familiar, you can go back and read in Acts. When Paul came into the city of Thessalonica, it wasn't an easy task. There was a great deal of difficulty and there was some suffering as a result of the gospel. And Paul had to be let out of the city secretly to save him. And so they came to the Thessalonians under great duress and there was great risk. And now what he's saying is the Thessalonians were returning that they were doing the same thing they were receiving. And that's more than just sitting there hearing. It's an embracing of the word. Uh, they embrace the word of God. In the midst of great difficulty, 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Or with joy that, that proceeds forth because of or from the Spirit of God within us. Which again is an evidence uh, of belonging to the Lord. So these believers embrace the word. Now don't get sidetracked here. Don't focus on the in much difficulty. That's important but it's not the main emphasis. The emphasis is the embracing of the word of the Lord. Because that's a necessity. That's a requirement. There is no such thing as one belonging to God who does not fully and wholeheartedly embrace God's word. Because it is the word of God. It's only the word of God that gives us the, the definitive understanding of the gospel. You can't believe apart from something that clearly tells us, and that is the word. It's not based on what what Randy might think or, or what some important person thinks. What we trust in is not man's word, but the word of God. And so the Thessalonians were embracing that word. That means that they were taking the word of God for that very thing. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't just merely a good thing. It was the word of God. It was authoritative. It wasn't optional. You don't get to say, yes, I believe. I think that's a good thing. And then live how you want to and, and decide what's good and what's not and what's right, and what's wrong. You don't get those options. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't because God's word is absolute. It doesn't change. It's true. Period. Regardless of what we may think. Now, sometimes we're wrong. We have opinions about things. We feel certain ways about what we read in God's word. We don't like some things. It doesn't feel good. But it doesn't change the reality that God's word is true. And so when they embrace God's word, what they were doing, in essence, were saying, we will submit to this word. Like it or not, this is truth and we believe it. And we're going to live our lives for it and by it. So these believers embraced this word. And what made it so evident is that they didn't just do it because it was beneficial, right? You know, hey, trust in Jesus and your life will get better. Really? Maybe, maybe not. Go outside of America and make that statement. And say, if you trust Jesus, your life will get better. People give their lives for trusting in Christ. Literally. So, I mean, it's not about them doing it because it got them something from it. It says that they received it, they embraced it in the midst of great difficulty or great tribulation, great oppression. So the reality was that they truly did believe. Because if you want to know who really believes and who doesn't, then put them under pressure. Right? And we've seen that recently happen in our country. Right? People who were put on the spot and lost their lives because they said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And it happens. Now I pray that never happens to any of us. But understanding that if we're put under the pressure, the true us comes out. If we really believe, we will stick by it no matter what the, the consequence. If we don't truly embrace God's word, then we will waver depending upon the circumstance in our lives. These believers, they, their testimony was that they embraced God's word in the midst of great tribulation. And I love it. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we go... Man, in the great, we're suffering. No. What it means, and it's hard to even explain, it means that in the difficult circumstances that come in our lives as a result of the gospel, I'm not talking about normal difficulties that face every man faces, but because of the gospel, 
that when we face those difficulties, it's kind of strange. Because suddenly there's this, there's this unexplainable joy that we, we experience. And again, we're not talking about happiness. We're not saying, you know, I lost my job and that's great. But it might be that you, you experience this joy that can't be explained when you live for the word of God. And it costs you. And, and so embracing God's word isn't based upon circumstances. Is it based on our personal gain in this life? It's based on God's word. And that's it. These believers embrace that. All believers are called to embrace it. There is, there's no true faith apart from embracing God's word. And Paul further explains this in chapter 2. When he says in verse 13. And we're, we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God. Which you heard from us. You accepted it. Not as the word of men. But as what it really is. The word of God. Which is at work in you believe. How do you feel about God's word? When you think about testimony, what would somebody gather that you believe about God's word by how you speak about your faith? The next thing that Paul speaks of is the proclamation of this word. Because he goes on, he says that not only did you become imitators by receiving or embracing the word of God in, in, in great difficulty in the midst of or with the joy of the Holy Spirit. But, but he goes on and says that, explains that as saying that the word of God, or they became examples. And here's how they became examples. The word of God, the word of the Lord sounded forth. It went out. In all of Macedonia and Achaia. This is all the region around them. This was the result of their belonging to God. And the evidence of them belonging to God. The gospel sounded forth. That's a verbal proclamation of the gospel. This is a result of one who's experienced the saving grace of God. That God's spirit takes up residence as we say within us. And he, and he compels us to speak forth the gospel. This is a part of testimony, speaking the gospel. And so the Thessalonians themselves, Paul says, you know, the reality of your testimony, the, the evidence of it is that the gospel is sounding for it. And, and I said it last week, you know, again, going back to that quote by Francis of Assisi, who said, speak the gospel, or I'm sorry, uh, proclaim the gospel. And if necessary, use words. And I told you, it is necessary to use words. Now, that's not enough. It must go beyond that, but it is baseline. We must proclaim a message because it is a spoken message. And unless we tell it, people will be greatly confused about what the gospel is. We must speak it. And that's what Paul says of these believers. The gospel sounded forth, meaning they spoke it, they declared it, they proclaimed it with their voices. And so when we think about a gospel testimony, we must understand that it does require us. It requires anyone who says, I'm, I'm going to give a testimony to speak with their mouths. Now, I pray it doesn't stop there because we typically call them hypocrites, right? But it begins there that we speak this message to others. Because if we don't, then people will never know the difference between the guy who was a drunkard and now isn't, who doesn't believe in God, and the guy who was a drunkard and now isn't because of his faith in God. Because unless he says, here's the difference, 
It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what that gospel is. The world will never know. And we can't expect that just living a good way, even if we've truly been impacted by God, is going to cause those around us to come to faith in Christ. Because it's not going to happen unless we declare the gospel. That's why Paul says that God chose the foolishness of preaching. That is proclaiming. That doesn't mean just what I'm doing here. But for all of us, proclaiming, speaking forth the gospel to save sinners. It's a verbal proclamation. But then Paul doesn't stop there because he goes on and says, but not only did the word of the Lord sound forth, that's where it started, it sounded forth, but he says, your faith in God went out in every place. Now, notice the difference. He spoke first of the word of the Lord, which is a very objective reality. That doesn't change. That portion, that aspect of the gospel is the same. 2,000 years ago, as it will be 2,000 years from now, should the Lord tarry. It doesn't change whether you live in Winston-Salem or Conway or North Africa. The gospel is the gospel. It's objective. We don't get to change that or decide what's important about it. We just speak it. That's what the proclamation of the word of the Lord was. But then he adds to that a subjective reality of the gospel. And that is when the word is proclaimed and, and we receive the word, it has an effect on us in a very subjective, personal way. And so now the Thessalonians, they spoke forth the word, but also their faith in God, that is a very personal aspect, went out in every place. So you have verbal proclamation, but you also have this visible presentation that is living out the gospel. It wasn't just something they said, but when they said what the gospel was, people could look at their lives and what they were experiencing circumstantially, and they could say their lives match what they said. Now that doesn't mean that it did in perfection. There's still sinners. There was failures along the way. We'll see what happens with that in just a moment. But it was a reality generally about their lives. They had a visible presentation of the gospel in their lives. Now here's what's so amazing about what Paul says about these believers. In these last few verses. He, he says that, that they, the word went forth. And, and, and their faith went forth in every place. So much so, listen, that Paul says, we don't have to say anything. The preachers can stop preaching because those who receive the word, they're doing it. That's an amazing statement. And then, but Paul further helps us see the reality of this because he says, we don't need to say anything. In fact, he says they, that is everybody else who's hearing and seeing this, this testimony of these believers. They are talking about the entrance or the reception that Paul, the preacher, had amongst the Thessalonians. Now, the picture I get of this is, is like this. Going into a city, preaching the gospel, and then leaving. And going into a, a city, not even close, and, and going into the local watering hole, sitting down and getting drinking. Hearing a conversation behind you going on, and you find that they're talking about that town you just left, or those people that you had went and preached the gospel to, and, and you hear them talking about you. They don't know you, but they're, they're telling your story, and you're hearing this. So Paul says, we don't need to say anything else, because they're proclaiming it themselves, and here's what they're saying. And this is where it makes all the difference. They weren't saying, man, those Thessalonians, man, they are cool. Man, they, they, they're, like, they're, they're like at the front running of, of church planning in the country. They're doing all the cool stuff. That's not what they were saying. They weren't saying about how moral the Thessalonians were. They're really moral people. Not that any of those things are wrong. But here's what, they, here's what they got from the verbal and the visible proclamation of the gospel in the lives of the Thessalonians. What does it say? 
They were proclaiming this. How you turned to God from your idols. So they, they saw in the lives of the Thessalonians the reality of repentance. They saw that. They got that from word and action. They saw repentance. That's at the very heart of the gospel. Right? There is no gospel without repentance. And he says, they they saw how you turn from God, from your idols to God, the the living and true God. For what purpose? So you can then go, I'm free and live how you want to live. No, to serve the living and true God. There's commitment. So we have their conversion. We have their commitment to, to God. And so what you see in this is the reality of any testimony, gospel testimony. There's a past element to it. You can look back and see initial repentance. You can look back and see a time in your life where, where you live for yourself or for sin. And something happened. And maybe in an unexplainable way, I don't know. But something changed. And God did something in your heart through the gospel. And you found yourself leaving the kingdom of darkness and entering into the kingdom of light. And you can look back at that and you can, you can see that. It might have been a very you know, dramatic situation for you. It might have been drawn out. I don't know. But you can see that there's a past element. But here's the thing. It doesn't stay in the past. If all we're ever saying is about how 20 years ago I accepted Christ. If that's your testimony, man, be concerned. If there's no passionate pursuit of serving the gospel right now, be concerned. Don't just, I'm not saying, no, we believe firmly that a person who's saved can never lose their salvation. What we question is, would the person get saved one point when they're young and then never live for the gospel again? Did they truly embrace the word of the Lord? Or did they seek to please mom or dad or their buddy? You follow me? So past reality, present reality, serving the living and true God, but he doesn't stop there. This is what they're getting from the Thessalonians. He goes on and says, you're serving the the living true God and you're waiting. There's the future element. Waiting for him to return. Right? They're watching. There's a future hope. And this is ultimately what Paul's main focus in this book is about. The future hope. Because it is that future hope, that enduring hope that compels us to live in the present for the glory of God. So, you turn, you're serving, you're waiting with patience for the return of Christ. And who is this Christ? The one whom God raised from the dead. And he names it Jesus. Jesus, right? Are you following what what we're seeing here? This is the testimony of the lives of the Thessalonians. It wasn't just about how their lives got better. Or their lives even merely changed. Ultimately, the subject of their testimony was not even them. It wasn't their church. It wasn't their personal actions. Those all play a part in the testimony. But the goal of the testimony is the gospel and the one who stands at the center of the gospel. Who is the only Lord. The, 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 our Lord Jesus Christ. The name only name given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the goal of testimony. This is true gospel testimony. Jesus Christ the one who what? I love this. Rescues us. Delivers us from the wrath to come. And so there's freedom from the fear of judgment. This is the gospel. Repentance. Commitment to God and his lordship over our lives. 
looking to the future, waiting for Christ's return to make all things right. This is the hope of the believer. Not some temporal satisfaction, a better life now. The resurrection at the very heart of the reality that Jesus Christ rescues us from the wrath that we as sinners deserve. You see, because we all deserve that wrath, right? We all stand deserving of God's righteous judgment. But because of what Christ did, not what we did or will ever do, but for what Christ did. Living the perfect life for us, the life that we should live but could not. Dying the death that we should die but don't have to. So that we could know him. And, and not that he could make us moral because... Second Corinthians, I love this verse, 521. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we, what, might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that here and now we're suddenly can say, look how righteous I am. No, I'm still struggling in sin. Continual repenting of my failures as one who lives in this fallen world. But my hope and my trust is not in my righteousness or yours. It is in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Who exchanged his righteousness for my sin and offered me his righteousness. And it's in that righteousness that we boast. This is my testimony. This is our testimony if we believe. This is what we want the world to know. We want to speak and live in such a way that... People in our lives that God puts in our past can understand the content of the gospel. Repentance from sin, faith toward God, commitment, the centrality of the gospel and the resurrection and the deliverance that comes in Christ Jesus. This is what we want people to hear. Yes, we we want to talk about our church because we believe that these things are offered there, right? But we don't want that to be the center of our testimony. Yes, we may talk about what God has done in our lives, but we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about Jesus Christ and what he has done and his glory. So let me ask you again. When you talk about your faith, what is it that people hear? Do they hear merely about your church? Do they hear merely about you? Or do they hear... The content of the amazing gospel that changes lives forever. That's the goal of any gospel testimony. Now, there's a lot of assumption made in that this morning. Because a testimony is not something we just decide we're going to have. You know, we don't say, well, I've been living for myself and now I'm just going to, I'm going to do better. Now, the center of testimony is a radical change in our lives that is wrought by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we hear the gospel preached and we come under conviction and we repent of our sins and believe in Christ. That's where testimony begins. Without that, there is no thing, such thing as gospel testimony. You can't have it. You can't muster it up. And so if you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sin and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a version of the gospel, but the one that's given to us in the word of the Lord that's authoritative and unchanging. If you've never repented, then you you don't have a testimony. I mean, you might have some version of what we may call a testimony. It's going to be about you. It's not going to be about the glory of God. And our prayer, my prayer for you this morning is that 
that you will repent and believe today. That's my invitation, and that's God's command. God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. And that's my great hope for you. Not so that your life will be better. Oh, yes, I hope that's the case. But so that your life will be radically changed and God will be glorified and you would experience the joy of the Holy Spirit that comes only through the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you can say, I can look to the past and, and there was repentance and I, I really embraced the word of the Lord, but man, I have really struggled with living that out. Then the so-called solution is the same. It doesn't change. It's continued repentance. We never stop repenting. It doesn't, it's one time thing. It's, it's a life of repenting of sin. You say, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Don't put me on some pedestal. Don't put Pastor Esther up on a pedestal. Don't put Preacher Willie up on a pedestal. Or any person. We're sinners. We fail. And guess what? You could say, bunch of hypocrites, right? I'm saying, not really, because we know that we're here because we know we need Jesus. We can't do it ourselves because we will fail. And so maybe you're struggling in that way. And your passionate pursuit is not Christ in His glory, it's something else. And I pray that today you will repent and you will experience the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. You may need to respond this morning in some other way. That's not for me to say. But here's the thing. We must respond. That's not optional. So we're going to have take some time. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have a song, Trust and Obey. And this is the time for us this morning to... To contemplate on God's word. And contemplate how it is that we must respond. And that will maybe be very different for each of us. For a lost person, then the only response, the initial response, must be repentance and belief in the gospel or rejection of the gospel. For the, the believer who is, is maybe living for themselves in this, this moment, then really it's, it's continued repentance... And a renewed commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where you must begin. But there may be other ways. Maybe it's in how you are sharing forth your faith. Maybe you say, I'm not. I need to repent of that. And pray God would empower me and compel me to share my However you see by the illumination of the Holy Spirit that you need to respond, please respond. Now that may look to us like a person who comes to pray. Or maybe to have a word with the pastor at the front. I will be here. That may not be anything that we can outwardly see. But here's my hopes. Is that it's not just a momentary response in the, in the sermon. It's a response that changes our lives as we go out the doors from now until. And that's where it really matters. So respond to the word of God this morning. I pray. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh, how we plead, Lord, that the testimony of our lives, both in word and deed, would reveal to others what we see right here in these scriptures. Help us to be like the Thessalonians who were being like Paul, who was being like our Lord himself, embracing the word of God. And then not keeping it to themselves, but declaring it because it was that amazing. They were sharing it forth. In word and in action, I pray, Lord, that would be the reality of our lives. 
And I pray, Lord, that in the places you have put us, in our work, and at home, where we go to play, or whatever we may be doing in school, I pray that what people would see and hear from us is repentance from sin and faith toward God who raised Jesus Christ from the grave as the evidence that Christ satisfied the wrath of God for our sin and we therefore can experience His righteousness. I pray they would hear the gospel, they would see the gospel and that they would run to the cross as well. Help us, we pray this morning. May you be glorified in our response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us this morning as we sing. 447, 447, trust and obey.